Good morning. Happy Monday, Bear Nation. Christ conscious living and preparedness. $50 super chat. Bless you, sister. I'm guessing from your profile picture. Good morning to everybody in the chat. Rattlesnake James said, what's happening, bro? It's Monday again. Um, and I think we should file a class action lawsuit against the Greco-Roman calendar because it's not even 9 a.m. And I'm already over this shit. So, unfortunately, I'm also a fan of Stoic philosophy, which means we can't just hide underneath the blankets all day. Thank you, Marcus Aurelius. We have to get out there and, like, do stuff today. And we're going to do stuff today, including the brief. For those who are completely unaware, my name's Bear. I'm from the internet. Matt Drake, thanks for the 10 bucks. Coffee on me this morning. You're awesome. Um... And we're going to do the brief today. It is the 14th of August, 2023. Anno Domini. You know, Anno Domini. AD actually stands for after the dinosaurs. That's what that's about. Um, anyway, you guys know the freaking drill. If uh, you're not new here, subscribe, you know, share the show with somebody you love. Leave a comment for the algo. If you're one of the 40% of people who watch the show but aren't subscribed, what are you even doing, bro? What are you even going to do? Like, what? why? Why? What's the point? I like to watch the show, but I'm not ready to be in a committed relationship. Okay, that's retarded. Subscribe. Connor Brown says 5x5. Five five. I appreciate you. We're going to talk about the Lahaina fire today. Um, we're going to talk about the Russian ruble as compared to the U.S. dollar. And uh, there's a really interesting article over at the Daily Wire by Mr. Ben Shapiro. Uh, titled, Despite What You're Being Told, China Is Dying. And I thought we might just, you know, pick our pick our way through that article a little bit today. Sound good? That sounds really good, Bear. All right, cool. Let's do the brief. Okay, Bear. Uh, as always, brought to you by RefugeMedical.com. Why? Why, you shill? Because uh, I own the company. I started it in the barn. It's like right there. It's like 40 yards away. Did I just dab? Is this what kids do on the internet now? For all I know, that's like some white supremacist, you know, dog whistle. I have no idea. Bear Independent Brief, 14 Aug 23. I didn't sleep a whole lot last night. Can you tell? The most deadly fire in the U.S. in the last hundred years has occurred on Maui. And it has been described as, quote, the worst natural disaster that Hawaii has ever faced. And, quote, Long Road Farms, 10 bucks for coffee tomorrow. Y'all are the best. Thank you. The worst natural disaster that Hawaii has ever faced by Governor Josh Green. While the flames are mostly under control, now the aftermath is devastating. Obviously, the infrastructure has been horrifically damaged, with over 2,000 buildings having been destroyed or damaged. Even most of the boats in the harbor had burned and sunk in the harbor according to one helicopter pilot. Worse than all that, the tragic deaths of 93 people have now been confirmed and still hundreds more people are unaccounted for. As many as a 1,000 people are still missing. Stray Kitten, question, why are the comments except for like one hidden for a couple hours? I haven't noticed that on any other channels. Because uh, we're currently in approved comments mode here on YouTube for reasons outside of your scope. That's why. Yeah, and, you know, 
why am I doing Q&A on Monday morning instead of reading the brief? Yeah, because you asked. Um, I see every comment that y'all put on YouTube anyway. If you've ever left a comment on a YouTube video and uh, you got a little hard on it, that was me. I did that. And so right now, uh, YouTube comments for us are in review mode because some piece of shit was trying to dox me. So there you go. Uh, let's see. As power was lost on Maui amid the flames, the 80 siren warning system on the island was not activated. Many residents have said they felt they had no warning at all as they had to make a decision to flee for their lives with less than 10 minutes to prepare. In fact, emergency communications for residents of the island became mostly limited to cell phones and broadcasters when most of the power, 911, and cell service was already down. This appears not to be a case of negligent authorities, but simply the nature of a rapidly developing disaster scenario. Adam Weintraub, spokesperson for Hawaii Emergency Management Agency, or HEMA, said, quote, we don't see any indications that Maui did anything wrong. Maui County faced a challenging, rapidly changing situation, and I think they did everything possible to save lives, and they still are. Lots of people weren't able to gain communications abilities for days, not knowing if their loved ones were all right or not. Many of the docks have been so badly damaged that bringing supplies in by boat has become a challenge. And some people have swum supplies to shore, swum, swam, are swimming supplies to shore. English, it's tough. Ah, maybe we'll see. Many complain of the inefficient government with comments from the locals, including things like too many chiefs, not enough warriors. Everybody is in charge, but nobody is moving. And the government's getting in the way of people helping. Hmm. Where have I seen that before? Over the weekend, the highway into Lahaina was so restricted that residents slept overnight in a mile-long line of cars trying to get in. BBC News mentioned in one report that large whiteboards in Maui's War Memorial Complex emergency shelter noted that batteries, water, and generators were the most needed. But there was, quote, an all-caps note that no more clothing was needed, end quote. As for the infrastructure, the cost to rebuild will likely be near $6 billion. Now, yesterday, I had a phone call in my capacity of as president of Grindstone Ministries with a gentleman who is trying to orchestrate some relief for Hawaii, Lahaina. And it's very interesting to me. We tend to take for granted the things that we know. Right. We assume that everybody knows the things that we know. And it, is, it turns out that's not the case. And I've been blessed, question mark, to have a significant amount of experience with the mass disaster relief, disaster recovery, disaster remediation. So I had about a half an hour call with this guy and he was drinking from a fire hose and the things that I think are just normal, common sense, you know, absolute basic courses of action were blowing his mind. And I'm not saying that to degrade him in any way. It just, I guess I have more experience than your average bear when it comes to disaster. So I wanted to share some of that with y'all. So Camo on the island right now is non-existent because the cell infrastructure got destroyed by the fire. 
power right now, they are saying secondhand information is going to take three to eight weeks to restore in certain areas because of the fire. So his question was, how do I even talk to these people? Because he has a friend there in Hawaii that he's trying to orchestrate with to get relief to the island. Well, what I told him was, and what I'll tell you is, if you had something like a Starlink, right? Now, this is not for SHTF actual. This is like in disaster mode, which frankly is a more likely SHTF than the Panamanian paratroopers landed my hayfield right there on the other side of the barn where I started Refuge Medical. So Camo, right? Camo drives logistics. Logistics wins wars. So if you can't combo, you're going to have a problem. So something like a Starlink with a battery solar generator or battery backup goes a long way towards that. Simplex radios, simplex radios, and uh, not just your handheld five watt handy talky things, but if you had a 50 or 100 watt base station with with a Yagi antenna, you could point it at somebody else's radio somewhere, especially if you have some elevation, and you can actually get word out. Andy Barnes said HF. Yes, brother. Uh, there, so Camo is a big deal, and these people don't have Camo right now. They're focusing on generators, to which I said, cool, how are you going to fuel them? And the guy was like, what do you mean? I said, well, there's no electricity so the gas stations don't work, right? And he's like, yeah. I said, cool. How are you going to fuel them? So gasoline generators are the most common types of small generators you're going to see. But my recommendation is a diesel or a propane generator because gasoline explodes. Diesel is flammable. They're both hazmat in large enough quantities, but it's way easier to transport large amounts of diesel than it is large amounts of gasoline. And propane and propane tanks 20-pound, 40-pound, 100-pound bottles, pretty damn safe to transport and logistically easier to move around. He's like, huh, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, so you might think about that as well. There's obviously no uh, emergency services there. The, The ones that still exist, the fire, police, EMS, they're all smoked because they've been up essentially nonstop. And they're not doing a great job coordinating, which they never do. And so after about 72 hours after a disaster, what you'll find is EMS, emergency services and public safety hits a wall because they've been all been up for three days and they haven't put a rotation together. Now, the fire chief in Lahaina is asking residents not to go back in because only about 3% of the area has actually been searched with cadaver dogs, and people are literally walking through the remains of people who succumbed to the fire. Stephen McDougald, get some lunch on me today. Bear, always looking forward to the brief on Mondays. Appreciate you, Stephen. Well, hopefully I can deliver for you today, because I'm I, I, I'm just pretend awake right now. So we'll see what happens. They don't have maps of the area or the ones they have aren't very good. So I told them the aerial assets that they do have should be used for recon and mapping right now, like flying helicopters and fixed wing aircraft around the area. That apparently was also mind blowing to them because it's combo and Intel. that's going to be able to allow you to drive the relief where it needs to be 
right now. Because if you say you're targeting an area where the, nobody's at, it's just structural damage. Relief doesn't matter in that area. Recovery matters. Recovery, relief is short term. Food, water, shelter, med calls, initially search and rescue, dealing with displaced peoples. That's relief. Recovery is the long-term rebuilding. That's the $6 billion portion of this. Now, there's already 150 FEMA uh, representatives on the ground. And um, by all accounts, they're doing what FEMA does, which is establishing a base camp and then staying inside the wire at the base camp, assuming that everybody who needs people is going to get to them. They're, they will come to FEMA rather than the other way around. That's not the case. Um, that's typically not how it works. About 10% of people remain mobile after a disaster. The other 90% are either displaced or they're immobile because they don't have a vehicle because of said disaster. And that's something that most people miss. And that's why when your church after a hurricane or a tornado or a fire sets up in the church parking lot thinking you're going to help people, it's a great sense, but it doesn't actually work. Because nobody can get to you. Only one out of 10 people can get to you. And so what you need to do and what I told this guy you need to do is you need to do strike teams. Learn this from the Reverend Gilbert Abreu at Night Runner's uh, mobile crisis response down in Florida. You put together strike teams and you go out into the community and you bring the help to them. Which for you, Mr. Prepper, Mrs. Prepper, gets back to area familiarity, area fam, and what's your network look like? Who do you know in the area? How well do you know the people in the area? It's a big deal. And also mobility, being able to maintain mobility during and after a crisis. It's a big deal. Um, and one thing that a lot of people miss when it comes to mobility is after a disaster, houses have been destroyed, buildings have been destroyed. And most of y'all are oblivious to how many fasteners are in a building. Oh, but if it was a fire, it all just collapsed into a pile. Well, it was a fire driven by 80-mile-an-hour winds. Yep, and fasteners will blow in 80-mile-an-hour winds. And when you deal with hurricanes and tornadoes, there is debris everywhere. So, <clears throat> certain storms, there'd be no fasteners left. Correct. Well, you'll find the fasteners in your tires. So, if you don't have at a minimum an air compressor, like a 12-volt air compressor, a tire plug kit, and a sidewall patch kit on your vehicle, you're going to have problems. Now, why does that matter for you? Because if you're going to bug out in your big off-road 4x4 bug out vehicle and you don't have those things, including spare tires and a jack and a lug wrench, that lug nut wrench that actually fits your vehicle, you're going to have problems. We always do tires always do tires when we do disaster relief um in mayfield kentucky and we were there 28 days 30 days we'll call it 28 days we did 24 tires in 28 days so something you might want to think about and also you know maintaining your vehicle to the point that uh you know you can actually get around Kim Gordon said, still burns at 28 degrees Fahrenheit, but trees are still up. Yeah, it's a weird fire. We talked about that on Friday. It's a very weird, weird fire. We talked about uh, direct energy weapons and tinfoil on Friday. Friday's brief. Now, let's see. This mouse has given up. 
so much for Monday, huh? Let's try again. There we go. Um, from uh, theguardian.com, Governor Josh Green says he expects deaths to rise as fire crews search destroyed Maui town of Lahaina for missing people. The death toll from the Maui wildfire stood at 96 on Monday, the worst recorded in the U.S. in more than 100 years. Hundreds remain missing. Death toll could grow. Quote, I do expect the numbers to rise. End quote. Governor of Hawaii Josh Green told reporters. Lahaina has now seen the largest number of deaths from a wildfire in the U.S. since 1918, when 453 people were killed in the Cloquette Fire in Minnesota and Wisconsin, according to the National Fire Protection Association. The worst death toll from U.S. fire, according to the NFPA, is 1,152 from the Peshtigo Fire in Wisconsin in 1871. Ugh. Climate scientists say such deadly wildfires will become more common as the climate crisis worsens. As the climate crisis worsens, or as we worsen, air quote, the big they worsen the climate crisis by shooting laser beams out of the sky to set things on fire. I don't know. I mean, it seems very Hegelian dialectic to me. Manufacture a crisis, offer the solution, control the outcome. Thank you for everybody with the super chats. You guys are just killing it this morning. Thank you very much. Let's see. In Hawaii, the fire that swept into Lahaina last Tuesday was fueled by dry conditions and hurricane winds offshore. Destroyed nearly every building in the town of 13,000, leaving a grid of gray rubble wedged between the blue ocean and the green mountain slopes. There's very little left. On uh, late Sunday, which was yesterday, Maui County said two fires had not yet been completely contained, including the one that demolished Lahaina. Authorities warned that toxic byproducts of the fire may remain, including in the drinking water. Those whose homes were destroyed would be housed in hotels and vacation rentals, said officials. With more than 2,200 structures damaged or destroyed and more than 2,100 acres burned, FEMA estimated the cost to rebuild Lahaina at $5.5 billion. So, uh, yeah. And uh, also, apparently, Oprah uh, tried to go to Maui. She was able to visit a shelter, uh, then told to go home. So I'm, you know, I'm kind of cool with that. Like, if you're not here to help, get out. If you're here for a photo op, go home. <clears throat> and I don't know Mrs. Winfrey. Maybe that's not where her heart was at. But I do know that in a lot, after a lot of natural disasters, there are... Let's see, I don't want to get sued for slander, even though what I'm about to say is true. There are a lot of nationwide 501c3s and ministries whose names you would recognize immediately, who show up on site with 100 volunteers with brand new work gloves and brand new hard hats and brand new safety vests, and they work for literally one hour. When I say work, I mean they walk around on site like this, looking at their hands for an hour, and then literally their media team that shows up in vans and SUVs emblazoned with their logos that say insert nationwide 501c3 here media team. They'll get out and they take all the pics and video. They do interviews. And then everybody after one hour, literally one hour piles back on the tour bus, goes back to the mega church where they stay for the rest of the day. And the way that these organizations are funded is they put together all of these volunteers and then they bill FEMA 
25 to 65 dollars per hour per volunteer while you're out there volunteering your time yes that's how those ministries work grindstone doesn't do that but that a lot of other 501c3s and ministries that's what they do yep yep Miss Lovely Dilly said the Cross of Crimson. Yep, they're one of them. Um, another one is, uh, well, they wear gray shirts. Um, let's see. Another one. How could I say this? In um, completely unrelated, in the Gospels, there's this story of Messiah. He's in Shomeron, and he comes to a well in Shechem that was dug by Abraham. And he says to this woman, Hey, I need some water. Give me some water to drink. And she says, what would you, what would you, a Jew, a Yehudi man, have to do speaking to a Samaritan woman? Thank you, Long Road Farms. I appreciate you. So a lot of these other organizations that you've heard of, that's their business model. You volunteer your time. They never tell you that your time is being billed to FEMA. And then they put together every day a list of all their volunteers, how many hours they work, and they submit that to FEMA. And depending on what your capabilities are, if you're one of those people with a brand new pair of gloves just looking at your hands walking around on site, that bills out at 25 bucks an hour. If you're sitting on a piece of equipment, that's $65 an hour. Yep. If you're holding a chainsaw, $48.50 an hour. Mm-hmm. And then they turn around and they bill that back to FEMA every day. And that's their sustainability plan. Our sustainability plan is you. So thank you for supporting us with what we do at grindstoneministries.com. So also uh, shifting gears a little bit, RT, Russia today. The ruble hits over 100 to the U.S. dollar. So $1 equals 100 rubles. Presidential economic aide Maskim Oreshkin has said he expects the Russian currency to stabilize. Of course he says that, just like Janet Yellen is like, there's nothing to see here. Our economy's great. Don't worry about it. Because, you know, that guy, what's his name? Maxim Oreshkin does not want to, you know, have a tragic kayaking accident or accidentally throw himself off a roof or accidentally shoot himself in the back of the head three times, as has been known to happen. The Russian ruble has slumped to its lowest level versus the U.S. dollar since 22 March, touching 101 against the American currency on Monday, despite rising export revenues and capital controls and capital controls introduced by the Russian central bank. Where have we seen this before? The ruble also weakened to 101 against the euro, a 16-month low. The ruble hit a record low of 120 against the green back in March of last year before recovering to more than seven-year high a few months later. So far this year, the ruble has weakened nearly 25% versus the dollar. And some people would be would say things like, see, the sanctions against Russia because of the you know, special military operation in Ukraine are working. And my response to that would be, or, or global economic instability, one or the other. You know, take your pick. Last week, the Bank of Russia announced plans to stop buying foreign currency on the domestic market under a budgetary mechanism deployed to protect the economy from volatile commodity prices. Mm-hmm. 
Despite the sharp depreciation, President Vladimir Putin's economic advisor, Maxim Oreshkin, says he expects the ruble to stabilize. Quote, the current exchange rate has deviated significantly from fundamental levels and its normalization is expected in the near future, Oreshkin was quoted as saying. Quote, a weak ruble complicates the economy's structural transformation. Structural transformation. Interesting. And negatively affects the population's real incomes, he warned. It is in the interest of the Russian economy to have a strong ruble. You think? Hmm. The Bank of Russia and the Finance Ministry have previously blamed the ruble slide on changes in trade balances. According to Arushkin, the drop has occurred due to the regulator's monetary policy. Quote, the central bank has all the tools to normalize the situation in the near future and ensure that lending rates are reduced to sustainable levels. End quote. That sounds a lot like what's happening here in the Estados Unidos and speaking of Russia, they're part of this trade agreement. Terry Magnuson, Chainsaw Bear, 50 bucks. Thank you. You guys are on fire this morning with the Super Chats. I really do appreciate you. <laughs> Be right back. I need some vodka in my bulletproof kofefe for this part of the brief. Well, hey, it's your Monday, bro. You do what you got to do, all right? Uh, very interesting article. Uh, and I'm not going to dive too deeply into it, written by Ben Shapiro at The Daily Wire, titled, Despite What You're Being Told, China is Dying. I'll read you the first paragraph, and then we'll go through the reasons why. China, you've been told, is a rising power. Soon you've been told they will surpass the United States as the center of the new world order. Their annual gross domestic product averaged 9% growth from 1989 to 2022. Their standing military has 2 million active personnel. Their tentacles reach into Africa, the Middle East, and South America. The real story of China is far, far scarier because China is a power in a state of inevitable collapse. The only question is when and how much damage they'll do before the Chinese regime implodes. That's because China has at least five serious problems. Problem number one, demographics. China is currently, according to ge geopolitical strategist Peter Zihan, the fastest aging society in all of human history. A healthy demographic chart in terms of age looks something like a pyramid. Most of the citizens will be young. A solid number will be middle-aged in the very top. The fewest will be elderly. The problem with that is China's demographic chart is in the inverse of that. China currently has a birth rate of less than 1.2 per woman. So you need a birth rate of 2.1, I believe, is the absolute minimum sustainability rate. Terry Stennett said, dying empires tend to lash out. Yep, it's a thing, right? It's a thing. The decline of Chinese birth rates can be attributed to two factors. First, the Chinese government's evil one-child policy implemented in 1980 and ended in 2016 resulted in 3 to 4% more boys than girls being born thanks to sex-selective abortion and infanticide, families literally killing off female babies in the womb or afterward. According to the Chinese government itself, the one-child policy prevented 400 million births. China's population has already peaked. It's now dropping. The question is, as the population ages in a heavily Marxist system, who's going to pay the bills? Number two, lack of innovation. Uh, basically gets into saying that, you know, they're because of their Marxist ideologies and their dictatorship, they're not actually innovating. 
which is interesting. Uh, intellectual property theft totaling $600 billion per year, an unsustainable growth model. Problem number three, debt. If you can't pay for things through innovation or manufacturing, you've got you've got to get a lot of money from someplace else. China's growth has been disproportionately funded by debt. The country's debt to GDP ratio is at least 159%. That's 60% higher than the global rate, according to S&P Global Ratings. The nation's total stock of corporate, household, and government debt is now over 300% of its GDP. China comprises 15% of all debt globally, according to the Institute of International Finance. I just want to point out here for you that one of the five reasons why China is a dying empire, according to Ben Shapiro, is debt. I get a lot of questions about that. A lot of those questions look something like, Bear, when is it time for me to run up my credit card debt so I can buy all the things I need to buy so I can survive the apocalypse? And my answer to that is never. 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 You should never do that. The rich rule over a po- over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. I don't think we're going to get an apocalypse like they wrote about in all those fiction books. I think we're looking at a controlled demolition and the people who are controlling the demolition are the people who will benefit from it. Think about 9-11, but on a global scale, right? Like that a controlled demolition, and the people who are doing the demolition will benefit from it. So if you are in debt to the system, this system will make you pay off that debt with whatever currency they institute is next, or you'll find yourself on a bus on your way to the work camp so you can pay off your debt. And that work camp will probably at some point look a lot like Auschwitz-Birkenau. So if you want to run up your Amex, that's on you, but I think that's a really bad idea. I don't think you should be buying shit with other people's money. I think you should get out of that system and buy shit with your own money. And then you should only buy the shit that you actually need to buy, not all the prepper fantasy bullshit. Dooby dooby doo. Problem number four with China, their military. Everybody thinks China is a powerful military country, and they kind of are. Reading from the article from the Daily Wire. But with China on the brink of economically and demographically, with China on the brink economically and demographically, they might be expected to get more aggressive militarily. And again, China does keep threatening surrounding areas, including most prominently Taiwan. China's two million man army is indeed huge, but manpower isn't everything, as we've seen in the Ukraine war. And like Russia, the Chinese military isn't up to snuff. China relies on older, less sophisticated chips, and according to the RAND Corporation, the United States has worked to control import of chips into China, which means that their Chinese tech is just not as good as American military tech. The United States has even prevented Chinese companies from receiving software updates, spare parts, technological inputs from Americans. According to Chris Miller, author of Chip War, China now lags the United States by up to a decade. What's more, China doesn't yet have the capacity to project deep water power. They have a lot of boats in their Navy, and their Navy is effective in coastal zones, but they have no capacity to project power beyond those zones, which means that Taiwan and the South China Sea are squarely in China's crosshairs because 92% of all sophisticated microchips are produced in Taiwan. We could see China attempt to blockade the island with the threat of destroying TSMC, Taiwan's microchip manufacturing company. I saw a really interesting video uh, from 
a YouTube channel called World Graphics talking about could you invade the United States of America? <clears throat> and I'll sum it up. And uh, the there are multiple caveats throughout the video essentially saying, look, we are not military historians. We're not tacticians. We're just looking at the geography and the supply lines of being able to invade the United States of America. And the short answer, the conclusion of that video was essentially no. They ran through three different scenarios where it could be possible. And uh, bad news for those of y'all who live on the coasts. It is possible to take the coasts, but probably not to hold the coasts. But we have these uh, major geographic features called the Rocky Mountains and the Appalachians. And getting to the heartland, the center of the country, would be very difficult. Even trying to come north, you know, from the north southbound through Canada or from the south northbound through Mexico would be very, very, very difficult. And they actually, in that video, thank you, Ryan, the eating warrior, um, they actually made the argument in that video. They said, we'll just make it the entire world versus the United States every other military versus the United States and still the United States was three and O in each of those scenarios, as far as people actually invading the United States and taking over the country. So not to give anybody any false hope, but I found that really interesting. So Ryan, the eating warrior says, good luck invading through Florida or the South in general, LOL. Yeah. So that was actually, um, Coming through the South into Texas was looked at by the Japanese during World War II as a potential invasion option. And that's where you get the famous quote, a rifle behind every blade of grass. And there is the argument to be made that quantity has a quality all of its own. And so China has a two million man army. You know, the United States has roughly a million, 1.2, somewhere in there. If you call up all the reservists. Um, so we're not terribly overmatched by the Chinese army, Chinese military. Um, but if you were to say, you know, flip that around and go with guerrilla tactics where you have a bunch of Texans hiding in the foothills, right? The Texas Hill country, and you're trying to invade from the South, you know, hopefully the Texans that are picking up rifles are not the ones that have just been recently imported from California, but we'll see. My point is it's, very difficult to invade the United States of America um, overtly. Now, you can make the argument, but there's 400,000 military-aged males that have come across the border in recent years. Yup. And there's Chinese police stations in the country. Yup. And there's, you know, bad actors and splinter cells in the U.S. Yup. What if they take out the grid? Well, according to the CDC, 90% of humans are going to die in the United States of America within one year if you take out the grid. I saw a really interesting article because, again, some of y'all might know that I run five businesses and two ministries with a team of awesome people, and I do a lot of market research. And FEMA did a study. Basically, they asked 5,000 households across the country what their level of preparedness was. And it was incredible to me the response on this extrapolating out those 5,000 households, roughly 30% of American households have what they need to sustain for 90 days or more. Now, 90 days ain't a year. It's not seven years. It's not a decade. 
but that's way more prepared than I thought a lot of Americans were. And for those of y'all who are in business, um, the crux of that study by FEMA was essentially that the popularity of preparedness is forecasted to grow by 500% over the next five years. Very interesting to me. Very interesting. So it makes me wonder with the uh, the CDC study that 90% of Americans would be dead within one year of a grid down scenario. Does that still hold? And also, like, again, 90 days isn't a year, but their study maxed out at 97 days of capability. And they had a little caveat in there where they said that we don't know how many people have more than 97 days worth of stuff, uh, capability, if you will. And so I think that because of COVID and because of the tyrannical response to the COVID-19 outbreak, a lot more people have woken up to the idea of, I need to be prepared. I need to be in a position where I can take care of myself because clearly these jackasses in Washington, D.C., uh, can't take care of me. I need to be able to take care of myself. And bird walking all over this brief this morning because it's my show and I get to do what I want. There is, uh, where is this dude? Let's see if I can find him. There's a guy, he's on Instagram called Oliver Anthony. And he has a song out called Richmond North of Richmond. You should listen to that song. It's so damn good. Rich Men North of Richmond by Oliver Anthony. I posted that, reposted that on Instagram yesterday. And uh, my comment was the battle cry of Civil War 2.0. Phenomenal song. So, MC Uper said, I have been. It's fire. Yep. So, Check it out. If you're not already familiar with Oliver Anthony, Richmond, north of Richmond. Last problem, according to Ben Shapiro with Jaina. Problem number five, dictatorship. Finally, you have problem number five, dictatorship. Underlying all these other problems is the biggest one of all. China is a one-party dictatorship. While fools like Thomas Friedman of the New York Times write that, quote, China's one-party autocracy can impose the important policies needed to move a society forward, end quote, <coughs> the reality is the reverse, because the dictatorship is the be-all, end-all. It can't allow the freedom and innovation necessary to grow the country and fix its problems. Instead, dictator Xi Jinping, in an attempt to enshrine his own power, has doubled down, seeking more economic control more autarky autarky autocracy greater militarism it's literally a-u-t-a-r-k-y i've i'm a fairly well-educated man and i've never seen that word before the word of the day is autarky today's show was brought to you by the number five the letter n and the word autarky blah 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 all to say ben shapiro's um working premise here is that China is on the brink of collapse, which actually dovetails into a lot of other information that's coming out. So that's the brief for today. Thank you for uh, sticking around for my less than stellar performance this morning. I appreciate y'all very much. I'm doing my best to wake up.
And I know that it's not early in the morning, but I will repeat again. Sleep is not a thing that I did a whole lot of last night. Heather says, we love your presentation. Natural is better than fake scripted. Well, Heather, you'll get plenty of that here. I appreciate you. That's the show for today. If you're one of those people that jumps off when it's time to discuss the value exchange, you know, I would encourage you that if you usually jump off, maybe just stick around for a few more minutes because you might not know what you're missing. For those of you that do know what you're missing or already support the show, engage in the value exchange, this is your polite invitation to beat feet skedaddle. Get out of here. Have a blessed day. Shaloha. For everybody else, let's talk. Uh, this morning on links in the description for all this stuff. Okay. And I'm going to, I'm going to work through this quickly. Links in the description, patreon.com this morning on Patreon. I talked about bumping the night kit and I talked about, um, nods, nods, night observation devices, night vision. Uh, Patreon is $10 a month. It is a prepper consultancy. You ask me the questions, I give you the answers. And usually minimum 15-minute long standalone videos, sometimes 30, even 40-minute long standalone videos. We also have a couple different ongoing series there on Patreon. One right now, we're doing the Chainsaw 101 series, which is a combination of whiteboard and in-the-field practical application of, I have a chainsaw. How do I not die using this thing? And for those who might not know, I made my first million doll hairs with a steel chainsaw. So I don't know everything there is to know about chainsaws and filling timber, but I do know a thing or two. And so we're doing that. I'm also happy to announce I will be bringing back the uh, math series. We've done chicken math and sheep math and wheat math and rice math. And you're asking yourself, why do I care about that bear? Because you probably have to buy things so that you don't die when the grid goes down and the world ends, right? So you have to uh, you have to know how much of those things do you need. How many sheep does it take to sustain a family of four or 12 or 86? How much rice do I actually need? How big does my garden actually need to be in order to back into the amount of produce that I need to feed myself, right? Are y'all laughing at my shirt? C-I-A-T-F-B-I? Yeah, that's right. I'm a bona fide agent of the C-I-A-T-F-B-I. So, um, yeah, this uh, shirt comes from uh, Yankee at Howitzer Hill or whatever moniker he's going by now. Let's see. So that's Patreon. Check it out. It's 10 bucks a month. Okay, bear. Well, what's it mean? What do you mean? C-I-A-A-T-F-F-B-I. I'm a federal agent in a make-believe agency. That's what it means. Trevin. Duh. C-I-A-T-F-B-I. Engage your brain, Trev. All right. So, uh, refugemedical.com. Happy to announce the kit of the week right now is the Adventure 3.0. It's the new and improved adventure kit. Improved bag, improved contents, same price. So uh, we've had a lot of people wanting to know when the adventure kit is going to be back in stock. It is uh, back in stock today. And I have a limited availability of them. So if you've been waiting for an adventure kit, 
Go get them. Uh, what Ed Cilio said, less than stellar question mark. Uh, no, the basic ground truth about disaster zones was gold. Thank you, Ed. You know, we've, we've, uh, we've done a thing or two in disaster zones. Med calls is one of the things that a lot of people don't understand with natural disasters. Probably not going to happen. Uh, I've talked about this a lot. The hospital isn't going to be operational. And so I'm very passionate about trauma medicine and good first aid kits and supporting American manufacturing and the American factory blockchain. That's why I founded this company, Refuge Medical, right here. This company is mine. There are many like it, but they are not. We don't have competitors. We just have other people in the industry who think they do what we do. This kit is guaranteed forever. Forever. Not for 90 days, not for a year, not for a decade. Forever. Now, also, what does that make you think about how long I think Refuge Medical is going to be around for? I'm also not building this company so I can just sell it out to the highest bidder. Forever. Okay? You break this, I will replace it at no cost to you forever. If you use the contents of this kit to save somebody's life, I will replace them at no cost to you forever. We have some superheroes in the Bear Nation have used their Bear Fact to save multiple lives on multiple different occasions. And every time I'm like, this guy again? This guy needs a cape, right? Like a freaking superhero. They're like, all right, boss, well, we're going to send him components to replace what he used in his kit. No, replace everything he used in his kit and send him another one. Another whole kit? Yeah, because he's out there doing good works. And that's the point of this company is to get good, capable kits into the hand of good American citizens. Because when shit goes sideways, y'all forbid you need a first aid kit, and instead of a first aid kit, you have a piece of ballistic nylon with a bungee cord and a rape whistle and a glow stick in it, okay? That's not what this is. Cat tourniquet on the outside, shears on the outside, pop it open, grab the red handle, pull, and here's your trauma first aid kit that you can open with one hand because you might be missing the other one or you might be a little busy. All the contents prioritized per the March algorithm for prioritization of care. There's a random hair in here. Got it. No, it's not mine. Got it. Massive bleeding, airway, respiration. Massive bleeding, airway, respiration, circulation, head injury, hypothermia, everything else. March algorithm. Tourniquet, gloves, sharpie, medical tape, pressure bandage. In the back. Shears, nasal pharyngeal airway, five by nine gauze pads, two chest seals, and a burn tech dressing. Like I said, we don't have competitors. We just have other people in our industry who think they are. And then down in the bottom, we have our quick clot for wound packing, legit quick clot, and our trauma pack. Got two by twos, four by fours, five by nines, fold flat duct tape, an eye shield, an iPad, hypothermia blanket, compressed gauze, rolled gauze, triangle bandage, all of it. So this is everything you need to work the entirety of the March algorithm. Made in America, guaranteed forever. Only saved. We see. Here's the thing, though. But does it actually work, Bear? I don't know. We've only saved 85 lives to date. 
I said, it's only 85 in four years from a company I started in my barn that's 40 yards away from where I'm sitting right now. I think it works. Hundreds of aid rendered stories have come in. Hundreds. Aid rendered from like Susie fell off her bike and needs a Band-Aid. By the way, many of y'all have pointed out Susie needs to get her ear checked. Maybe she has an inner ear infection because she's always falling off of her bike. Hey, Bear, curious to know why no kid-capable tourniquets on there versus the two cats? Well, Evan Roach, it all depends on your application. You can absolutely put a Slishman device in, which I'm glad you brought up. The Slishy, as we call it, because right now, if you add a Slishman to your cart and you add uh, and you spend more than 99 bucks, the Slishman will be free. And it's a great tourniquet for kids. You can also add to this kit when you're on the site. There's add-ons. You can add an S-Mark bandage or a uh, SWAT T, stretch wrap and tuck tourniquet, all of which were great on kids. So for me, why do I have this one? Because for me, I have a primary cat. For me, I have a primary cat tourniquet on the outside, secondary cat tourniquet on the inside. And I also have in my pocket, soft T tourniquet, EDC right here, and a... Wrong pocket, slick kit, sexy legs and khaki kit. So if you're looking to EDC something and you wear, you know, dad pants, cargo shorts, cool guy cami pants, this is it right here, man. So you, we're huge proponents of having life-saving medical equipment for every member of your family, including your kids, which is why we offer the S-Mark bandage, the SWAT T, and the Slishman. That gives you three options right there for um pediatric tourniquets so all that's at refugemedical.com have i mentioned like we plan to be around for a while we guarantee our stuff forever and that's why we don't build bullshit kits designed to maximize profit we build the best kits on planet earth designed to maximize the chance of survival for the people that these kits are getting used on and I want to point out a lot of people focus on like the tactical stuff. Well, if you have a gun, you need a blowout kit. And that's super true. I have a gun on my hip right now, which is why I have a blowout kit in my pocket. But statistically, the most dangerous thing you do is drive, right? Um, we've had a lot of workplace accidents where lives have been saved and aid has been rendered. We've had a lot of school incidents where aid has been rendered. The world's an undependable place. And more and more, so we've seen since COVID, right? EMS response times have gotten terrible around the nation because there's personnel there's less maintenance on the vehicles. There's less availability of the medicine and the components. And so that means we have to take more and more personal responsibility, which is why refugemedical.com. And if there's something you want, but you can't find it on the site, email us. Email admin at refugemedical. We'll get it for you. Like I can get anything. And if you're part of an agency, an organization, a department, bulk orders, all that, just shoot us an email or call the store. 
We do bulk orders and bulk pricing as well. So don't be shy. Again, kit of the week is the Adventure Kit 3.0. I have a limited inventory of those. They're going to fly off the shelves. So if you've been waiting for an Adventure Kit, new improved bag, new improved components, same price. Go check it out. Uh, RefugeTraining.com. We've got some classes in Pecola, Oklahoma at the end of this month. Um, Responder 1 which is March algorithm, massive bleeding, airway, respiratory, circulation, head injury, hypothermia, everything else. Four to five hour classroom setting with lots of reps and sets on tourniquets and wound packing and chest seals and blah, blah, blah. Responder two, which is your intro to scenario-based training where you have more reps and sets on all the March algorithm and you work a couple of different scenarios, including a motor vehicle accident because that's the most likely thing that you're gonna get into. And that's a four to five hour classroom and field setting. And then responder three, which is a 10 hour field setting, civilian tactical medical course. And um, I've had multiple soft guys, like pushing a dozen now from all different branches. I've had half a dozen Green Berets, a couple of Navy SEALs, some Air Force guys and some Marines who have all been like, dude, this you teach civilians this? Yeah, man. They're like, this shit's incredible. Thank you. I appreciate that. Again, we don't have competitors. We just have other people in the same industry who think they do what we do. It's There's nothing to compare it to. It's literally not possible to get a higher level of medical training as a civilian without any funny letters after your name. So that's refugetraining.com. Uh, we have classes here in Pecola, Oklahoma, and then our training team goes on the road. I think there's a handful of classes in early September left in Boise, Idaho, September 4th and the 6th for Responder 1. So check that out, refugetraining.com. How many packs for one family of two adults and one child, two vehicles? Any suggestions? What's up, Braided? I would get the um, the vehicle kit, the car kit or the ARC from refugetraining.com, get one for each vehicle. Crash or the, the crash kit, depending on what you're doing. Crash kit, it, the crash kit was designed for our buddy Devin, who was doing Baja racing at 140 miles an hour through the desert for a thousand miles. And um, if it can survive that and treat any injuries that result from that, it definitely works in a minivan, a truck, an SUV, you know, a side-by-side. It's a phenomenal kit. So, um, yeah, refugemedical.com, refugetraining.com. Please check those out. Last but certainly not least, Grindstone Ministries and Caleb House. If um, you're motivated to do something about human trafficking, specifically juvenile human trafficking, kids, uh, Caleb House, Caleb with a K, calebhouse.org, check it out. There's uh, a lot of really good information there. You can sign up for the newsletter <clears throat> if you are convicted. You can donate there as well. Uh, I'm happy to tell you that we are breaking ground this week on Caleb House Actual, our restoration facility. So thank you to every one of you who's been supporting us through that. No, we don't have all the money to complete construction right now, but we're going to do the best we can with what we got where we're at, as my pastor likes to say. So uh, we'll be beginning that dirt work this week, which is awesome. Uh, we've already started moving equipment on site and staging things, and it, it's it's go time. So super happy about that. Uh, of course, 
T-shirts from our brother Rex, our brother Saw, Caleb House shirts, swag, all that goes to support uh, Caleb House Actual. And links are in the description. And our brother Moose, Moose Run Coffee, if you get the Grindstone Blend, a portion of the proceeds from the Grindstone Blend go to support Caleb House as well. Uh, links are in the description. And I'm uh, late for an appointment, but that's okay. It's Monday. I appreciate y'all very much. Uh, hey, do me a favor. Share the show with somebody you love. Uh, the algorithm is not a fan of our content. So help us defeat the YouTube algorithmic robots as we march on towards 2,000, 200,000 of y'all in the Bear Nation. What's up, Rocklick? Y'all have a great day. Shalom. <laughs>